Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, I love it that as a church, we are a family, that we get to celebrate the institution of family that our God created, that he authored into the very fabric of human society from the very beginning. And Sundays like this are special. They're not just special because the kids are up here. They're special because we as a full family get the opportunity to just reflect and celebrate the power of a godly family. Um, And this morning, we're continuing our conversation around the idea of evangelism. And we've called this series Life Shared. Um, And Pastor Jay and Matt started this series off last week. So if you weren't here and you haven't seen that part, you can jump online onto YouTube and watch that and catch up. But we're going to continue that conversation. And the whole idea about this conversation is what does it mean to evangelize? And it's not just word alone. We know that, right? And we know that because we're mostly terrified to talk about our faith in most settings. But God really wants to challenge, I think, his church right across the West to actually give us the words to say, but more importantly, the courage to follow it up in deed and action. Um, And it's not just telling people that there's a better way. It's living a life that allows them to come and join you in that better way, right? And I think that's where the disconnect so often happens is that we're actually responsible for godly living that actually, that, that, you know, it entices people in. Because when you see somebody filled with the Spirit, living for Jesus, passionate about life with an eternal perspective, that is very attractive, there's a, there's a depth and a meaning there. There's an anchoring there that this world can't offer. And we know it's true. And so we, we really want as a church to begin to stir the spirit of urgency around sharing your faith, doing life together, in opening up your life to bring people in so that they can not just hear about Jesus, but they can see the great work and what he's doing in and through you. Right? It's hard to allow someone into that space. You've got to be a little bit vulnerable. You actually need to know what you're doing. Uh, am, I, am I true? Am I right? Am I true? I am true. <laughs> Me English good. <laughs> so we want to continue that conversation. And last week we discussed, you know, what should motivate our hearts and minds into evangelizing? Like what should motivate us? Is it because we're told to do it and that's alone good enough and we just want to be good Christians and do what we're told? Do we do it because somehow it helps us deal with insecurities? Do we not do it for certain reasons? And I think today we might talk about that a little. But last week we we visited the story of Zacchaeus. And we pulled out this key thought that we evangelize because we've been moved by God's heart for those who are far from him. Right? We were all at one point far from God. And by his goodness and by his grace and by his love, we have been found and restored. And as we grow closer to God and as we, as we delve deeper into our relationship with God, as we search our heart and as he reveals his through scripture and through prayer and fasting and through relationship with him, it should stir our heart to be motivated to communicate that same moment we had, that life-changing altercation with God where he comes in and he turns everything upside down and he challenges everything we believe and everything we know and he begins to put us on a firm foundation and that journey and that life story that we have with him would stir our hearts to be motivated that he has the same love and the same desire to see those that are far, still far from him, be restored into relationship with him. We see Jesus say at the end of the story of Zacchaeus, he says, the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. 
This is the mission of Christ. It has always been that. Because the world was so lost. And in many ways, it's still lost. And we were separated. And we were blind. And we were dead in sin. And Christ comes and he steps down from his heavenly throne. And he takes on the form of man in bone and flesh. Word incarnate. And he lives the perfect life. And did you guys enjoy the communion story that we show the kids just to educate them why we do communion? How many of you here as adults watch that and we're like, oh, that's why we do it. Right? Pictures help, don't they? Pictures are so good. If the mission and heart of Jesus is to see the saved lost and to seek them and to find them. If that's his mission in his heart, it must be our heart and our mission too. So you can't know Jesus and not pursue what's on his heart. Something happens, right? And there's a maturity that takes place in our faith. See, if you still treat Jesus and you still treat your relationship with Jesus as a mechanism of getting what you want, then my hope for you this morning is that God would do a work on your heart to tip that upside down into something far greater, far more healthy and far more mature, which is we get to participate in what God wants. We've been invited into that. And there's an urgency there, right? We can't be found complacent. We just did 21 days of prayer and fasting. And honestly, I love it because there's an opportunity in those three weeks that we had, not just corporately to come together and focus on what God is doing in and through us as a church and also prepare ourselves for what he wants us to do. But there's a conversation that takes place with intent and clarity. And for me, there's this understanding that he's realigning us to that urgency. There's an urgency, right? And we just sung that song, he's doing a new thing. And it's derived from Jeremiah who says, don't you perceive it? I'm doing a new thing. I'm making a way in what? The wilderness. He's not making a way in some like lavish place that has everything. He's making a way in the wilderness, something that is barren and hard to navigate, where things are lost for a long time, where places where people go to die or things go to the wilderness. I'm making a way there. And if the last two years haven't taught us something, how barren is our society? How lost is our society? Is it not just one great wilderness? Even in all our opulence and all our wealth, isn't it crying out for direction, for a way? Isn't there a better way? He's making a way in the wilderness. And we look at this because he has a heart for the lost. So if Jesus is still seeking and if he's still saving the lost, if this is still his heart and mission on earth, what is his primary strategy to accomplish this mission? What's his primary strategy? Well, we know what that is. It's his church. It's the bride. It's his body. See, he still seeks and saves the lost. He wants us to be a part of that, and he invites us to be a part of that. It's an invitation for you and me to take part in his great work. Now, can I be honest with you? This invitation is so important. We use the word invite. He does. He invites us, but the invitation is important. It's not vague or nondescript. It's a very clear invitation. When I was early in the ministry, I got invited. This, you, know, you should always ask questions of what you're getting invited to. Yeah. I got invited to a baby dedication uh, for a Nigerian family in the church. And it just sounded great. Do you remember? I don't know, Amy, if you remember this. And so we're like, so yes, we will come along. We're pastors in the church. We'll attend. We just thought they were asking us to attend. And so we get to this. It's not in the, in the church building. It's at one of the beautiful homes that they had. And we get there, and there's a lot of people there. There's 100 plus people there for this baby dedication. 
I'm thinking to myself, no, none of the other pastoral team are here. It's just us. Cool. We must be highly favored. <laughs> Going to eat me some good food at this baby dedication. And so we're in this baby dedication. We've eaten the food. So the good part in my head, I've, we've done. And I was young, I know. I'm sitting there. And they're talking, right? And the conversation's happening. And they're beginning the, the ceremony for the dedication. And as it pre- proceeds, I turn to Emma. And I have this revelation. We're here for the dedication because we're dedicating this child. And when I'm reading, there's like a full pamphlet now. I, I read the pamphlet. There's like a 15-minute exaltation by me in the pamphlet. Which I haven't prepared for. I got food coma. I was sweating bullets. I'm like, Lord. <laughs> yeah. I prepared the fastest exaltation you will ever find. Thank God for Google. Yeah. <laughs> Am I right? Like, Dear Google, I've made a mistake. <laughs> now, they didn't tell me I was doing a 15-minute exaltation. It just was a very casual invitation, nondescript. But Jesus is not vague about this invitation to us as his followers. He's not nondescript. He's, he doesn't make it hard for us to understand what he says. Actually, in Matthew 28, 19, 20, he says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm always with you to the very end of the age. Does it sound like he's, he's vague in that? No, it's very clear. He's very good with his words. His instructions are clear. He says, go and make disciples. Go and continue the heart of my mission. Seek and find the lost. Give them the good news. That their heart's here. That I've come for them. He's still seeking and saving the lost. He's still at work at changing hearts of people. We know this to be true. Most of us are here because that is the truth. And he still wants to include you and me in this mission. He wants to include us. He wants us to be representation in the spaces of this world that he's placed us in. That's the urgency, right? So all of a sudden, wherever you work, and it's good that you're there, it's not for no reason, but the main reason is that you're the representation of Christ in that space. There's a heavy responsibility with that because that means you actually have to have a relationship with Christ if you're to be that representation in that space. You actually got to think about it through the heart and mission of Christ when you're in that space. See, if you've been in church for any length of time, it's likely that you've heard this all before, right? It's likely that you understand in the mind what we're talking about. We've heard it all before, but how often do we think about it and live it out in a reality that God's called us to live it out in. How intentional are we to join God on his mission for seeking and saving and making disciples? How much space do we give to the Great Commission in our life? First thing I want to deal with today is just some reasons we don't participate in proper evangelism. Isn't it interesting how we can hear that God wants us to, sorry, to use us into reaching people far from him? And accept it on one level, but at the very same time, we explain it away on another level. Like, I've done this before, so I know we've all done it before. Right? Where we, we understand it, we accept it, but we justify not doing it in so many ways. 
See, if I was to take a, a poll in the room this morning, just a survey of hands about our activity in the area of evangelism, my hunch is this, that most of us would feel like or could feel like or should like, uh, so feel like we could do more in the Great Commission or we could position ourselves in some form of agreeance to what God wants to use us for. See, I think most of us know that God has a plan for us to be used in reaching people in our lives. So what stops us? I don't know every reason represented in the house this morning, but I know a few that we're going to go through. And these ones are just big ones that I know each and every Christian will have to overcome at some point. So if you're taking notes, number one, we feel overwhelmed. See, we hear God wants to use us to reach people. But what we say to ourselves is that it feels like a lot. I don't know where to start. I don't know what, so I don't want to be, uh, you know, make a mess of things in people's lives. So I don't do anything. Who's had that thought before, right? I just don't know where to start. It all seems too big. It's all too difficult. And if I start and make a mess, it's only going to make it worse. So let's just do nothing. Right? There's a scene in Saving Private Ryan, and I don't know if you know this movie. It's a profound movie to watch in the concept of human sacrifice, and it centers around the landings in Europe and then the story of trying to find a, a young private uh, a few weeks, months later into the invasion uh, during World War II. But there's a scene where they, you, know, you see thousands of these young men storming these beaches of Normandy. And if you haven't seen the movie, Tom Hanks does a wonderful job, but there's one scene where this young man is hiding behind what is a barrier to stop ships from being able to load onto the beach. And they're under immense gunfire and he's scared and he's just sitting there and he's, and he's, doing, he's just doing nothing. It's just too hard. And Tom Hanks' character comes up beside him and says, if you don't move, you will die. If you don't get up and move right now, you will die. And a part of that truth is in our faith as well. If you don't get up and move right now, if you don't begin to take ground from the enemy, if you don't begin to advance in your faith through sharing the gospel, your faith will die. And I know it will die because it will become about you and not about him. It will become about staying safe and alive instead of what is good, and that's seeing the kingdom of God advance. And we know Jesus says if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will you will find it. You will gain it. These are not just nice words Jesus gave us to tickle our ears so that on a Sunday we could all come together, high-five each other, have a coffee and leave and do nothing about the reality of the world we live in that's hurting, dying, and is looking for hope and we have it. Isn't that the truth? Number two, we feel under-equipped. See, we, we're told God wants to use us to reach people far from Him, but we tell ourselves, I don't have enough training to do something like that. I don't have enough about, I don't know enough about the Bible to answer people's questions and objections. Our faith in God is true, but it is weakly anchored in Scripture. That's what that fear, that's what it exposes, right? And so we think we've got to be a lawyer for Jesus, but He's asked us to bear witness of His resurrection power. You don't have to argue someone in the kingdom. You've got to live your life that proves that the, the gospel is true. And it's not hard to do. He's given us the Holy Spirit to do it. It just requires us to surrender. But I get this feeling. I've been there before. Well, what if they ask the hard questions? Well, there's two things we can learn. And there's two opportunities in light of this reason. Opportunity number one, learn not to carry the expectation to have all the answers. 
You don't have to carry that. You just need to know where to go and look for them. No one here is going to have all the answers. But we have time to search scripture. You will return with a healthy answer. Number two, it gives us an opportunity and it illuminates that we should spend more time in scripture asking the hard questions ourselves. So that when those hard questions come, we've answered them. I know this to be true. A lot of Christians don't share their faith in this moment because to share their faith in this moment is to be examined. And if we were to examine ourselves in this moment, we would realize we have not even found the hard question. We haven't asked the hard questions ourselves. And so when someone comes and asks the hard questions, what is shaken, their faith or ours? Right? Our faith is shaken because we haven't done the work in the scriptures to allow God to fortify our beliefs and our values and our principles. And so we struggle with that. Oh, I feel so under-equipped. We think we're the wrong person. God wants to us to use us to reach people, but I hear, yeah, sorry, we're told God wants us to reach people, and I hear God wants to use other people to reach other people, and therefore, what I think is, is that maybe I'm the wrong person for this situation, because he wants to use other people too. Who's been there before, right? Like, oh, that needs to be a smarter mind than me, right, to reach that, that person's heart. You're going to need patience. Well, he says, hey, if you're near to me, I'm going to give you patience, Man, you need some long-suffering there. Well, trust me, the kingdom of God is filled with long-suffering. Just in evangelism alone, it's not true. It's in everything. It's the world we live in. See, this can happen through disqualification. You self-disqualify because you don't think you're the right person or that you're not, you don't think your life is up to scratch to be able to share the good news. Do you know you weren't good enough to enter the kingdom, right? And you're not good enough to stay. It's not about us. It's because of Christ that we enter into the kingdom. And it's because of the work in his, our life through him that we, that we qualify. That's how that works. It's through faith. Faith requires action. It requires a change. So why disqualify yourself from sharing the gospel? Because your life isn't all together right now. Because you feel like the wrong person. I, uh, I left home at around 17 years of age. Well, I felt abandoned at 17 years of age. I was left in Asia. Anyway, I came back at 18, and I hadn't seen my mates for a while. My parents lived in Australia. I was coming back for two weeks just to see them over my birthday. And, you know, to be honest, my life wasn't great in the sense that I wasn't close to Christ. Who knows at a young adult age where you're given absolute freedom, that is the moment you begin to form your convictions. And as parents, you really hope you've done the work required to allow your child in that season to form convictions that return them back to the gospel. And so I'm in that season, and so I haven't lived a great life uh, for the last 12 months. I come home. I'm not the child that they left in Asia. In many ways, I've grown up. And I go out with my mates, and these are my mates that I did most of my high school with. And during high school years, I was a pretty good, not outspoken, but just well-lived Christian boy. Uh, I shared my faith, but I wasn't over the top. Like, my sister would hold prayer meetings on the the school oval in the middle of a football game. Like, I'm going to hate Jesus more now. That wasn't me. I wasn't that brave. But they knew I was Christian. They knew I had a faith. And so when I returned back, I hadn't seen them for about 16, uh, yeah, about 16 months. I go to the club with them. It's a good thing to do when you haven't seen your mates for a while. And uh, that was a joke, by the way. All of you guys are like, this is the best sermon I've ever heard. I don't feel judged at all. Yeah, we've got to clarify those ones. 
Because I know some of you give you an inch, you take it a mile. And you stand before Christ, said Pastor Ben said, no, I'm in trouble, right? So I remember seeing with a mate called Darren, and uh, he's one of the guys that I really did share my faith with in a, in a really genuine sense. I wasn't trying to get him to church, but just in hard times, he was a mate, I'd talk about what God's doing in my life. And he was there, and I had too much to drink, and so had he. And we were sitting down, and um, he starts to just unravel. Based on who I was, started to unravel, not who I am in this moment, right? He starts sharing where he's at. And I kid you not, I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit say, Ben, lead him to Christ. And I'm half cut. <laughs> See how convicted I was? Talk about the wrong person, wrong time. But I really felt in that moment that if God can use a bush and if he can use a stick and if he can use an ass, he can use me. So both of us half cut, I led him through Christ, to Christ in a club. Now that story doesn't happen often and it shouldn't, but God's a good God. The next day we go to church and we both respond to the altar call. <laughs> like we both walk down the front garden and we need you. <laughs> we disqualify ourselves because we're afraid of the examination of oneself or that we'd be a hypocrite in the moment. Can I tell you, you can be a hypocrite in a lot of things, but you'll never be a hypocrite no matter how bad your life looks when you say Jesus is the way. You can never be a hypocrite in that because it's not about us. Think about that church. You You can do anything else to be a hypocrite, but not that. We can all be a prodigal in a moment and go, my dad's better. There's a better way. I'll lead you there. I know I've been there. You might have walked away, but you can walk back. You know the path. It's even easier for you. The second reason we think we're the wrong person and this is not as fun is because we're filled with self-importance. Someone else can do it. I've got other things to do right now. I run a church. One of you guys can go reach the people. I'll just not talk about my faith. Only on Sundays from the platform to you. Self-importance, right? No, that's not true. And pastors don't get that chance because as soon as you get in your hair cut and someone's like, what do you do for a job? I'm a pastor. They're either going to hate on you in that moment. Or they're going to enjoy your company and just pretend they never asked the question. That happens a lot. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so you want a high or low fade? Like, <laughs> well, they actually lean in. But either way, you're giving them an opportunity to respond. Self-importance. No one's, no one's more important than the gospel. No one's more important than the heart and mission of our Jesus. Don't fall for that one. I had a sign in a... I used to work in a frozen custard shop. It was amazing. But there was a sign on the wall. I hated it. It said, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. <laughs> I used to just look at that sign and get so upset. It's true, but like, if you've got breath in your lungs, then you've got time to give God glory. Simple. No one has no reason to constantly talk about God and what God's doing. And number four... We think maybe a future version of us will be better at it. Ever done that one? I'm going to go and spend some time like a monk. I'm going to prepare myself, shave my head bald. I'm going to wear some orange stuff. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to be perfect image. And I'm going to have the perfect story to preach about from the perfect platform. See, the future self is a deceit, right? Really what that is is just this Hollywood image. I need to be and I need to do and I need to make sure that when that moment happens that I finally lead someone to Jesus, everything is perfect. 
and I look great, and they cry, and it's on a plane, right? And they're going to do a story about it, and I'm going to be a pure flick star. There's got to be a better version of me. And it doesn't exist yet, but when it does, that's when God will use me. Do you know, it actually sounds like this as well. When I finish my university, then God can use me. I hear that one a lot. I'll finish my studies. And then when I have the perfect career and it's worth way more to me now, I'll lay it all down. Because I'm such a person of integrity. I'll do that for you, God. You give me everything, trust me, I'll give it back to you when I'm living my dream. Wait for the future, me God. He's going to be awesome. You think God actually listens to that conversation and is tricked by it? He's saddened by it. He's saddened that you think, you think that there's some version of you in the future that is ready to share the gospel and that the version of you now that's living by the thread of the gospel isn't qualified to share it. These are just some of the reasons, honestly, we could go on for so long that I think we don't participate in God's mission. And maybe you can write a list of your own of why you haven't. And it's not that we don't think it's true. And it's not that we wouldn't like to be involved in what God is up to. And it's not that we think it's unimportant. We just hope that someone better suited will do it for us. Right? But here's the truth for every single follower right now for Jesus. God wants to use you in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Not a future you, not a more courageous you, not a better looking or smarter you. That might never happen. It's so true. I peaked. I peaked in high school, God. <laughs> this is the slowest clap of recognition. <laughs> we'll do an altar call after this, is right. I love that He wants to use you here and now in the world today for His glory and His work of transforming lives. He wants to use you. That's just some reasons I think we don't do what we should do when it comes to evangelizing. The second thought I want to share with us is that evangelism is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus. But I want to look at at this through a story or a, a, a part of scripture in Luke 10 that I think is so important. It's a beautiful account of ordinary followers of Jesus being invited into his mission and just what takes place when they do this. And I think there's a few principles here that we see in the story that can help us think about the responsibility we have right now, modern-day believers, in joining the same mission of seeking and saving the lost that Jesus has invited us into. Luke 10, 1-3 says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into, this, into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Jesus has done something similar before with the 12, but now he's expanded it from 12 to 72. 
See, and he gets them organized and he gives them clear instructions to go ahead of him. And he lets them know that the task ahead is something that is going to be of a trial. See, the first thing I see here is that Jesus has a different perspective on the work than often we do. He says that it's a harvest. He uses this metaphor, it's a harvest. He describes the work to his disciples as a plentiful harvest. The harvest is ripe. Ever gone into like an orchard and the fruit is ripe? If someone said to you, you've walked into this orchard and it's all ripe, best fruit of your life, you can go harvest as much as you want. How many of you would just sit amongst the harvest and never touch the fruit? Never go to work harvesting? We all would be straight down to the Kerameas and we'd be picking those peaches and those, oh man, don't worry about the flies, it's delicious. The harvest is ripe. I think another reason, we didn't talk about this, that we don't participate in evangelism is because we're convinced that it's harder to share Jesus where we are right now than anywhere else. My city is just too lost. My family is just too tough. You have no, no idea how hard it is at my workplace. We've all said this before, right? When we moved here from Australia, honestly, we love Canadians. They're, they're, they're beautiful people, but they gave us some really bad reports coming to the North Shore. They're like, that is the hardest place. You know, spirit-filled churches there don't really exist, and the ones that do really struggle. That's like the graveyard of spirit-filled churches. Well, it's too late we're here. <laughs> Could have told us that six months ago. But. <laughs> All of those are probably very true statements, to tell you the truth. It's not... It's not easy to share Jesus anywhere. It's confronting. It's tough anywhere we go. But Jesus says the problem is not with the harvest. How do we know this? Because he says the harvest is plentiful. It's ripe. It's ready to go. It's beautiful. So with that in mind, what if we started to take on the perspective of Jesus when we think about the places he has sent us or he's sending us? What if we started to believe that the harvest in our workplace is ready? What if we started to believe that our friends and family who don't know Jesus are a part of what Jesus calls the plentiful harvest? What if instead of seeing our city as a hard place for the gospel to take root, we start to see it from the perspective of Jesus? It's ready. It's plentiful. Jesus says it's plentiful. That means we don't need to wait for more ideal conditions to begin the work. That's what that means. Jesus saying that it's ready, that it's plentiful, means the conditions right now are perfect. They're not hard in the way that we see it. We don't need to wait until we're in a different environment to share our faith with others. When we moved over here... I always tell this story. Just before we left, <laughs> Luke, you're going to kill me. <laughs> I can't remember who else was there, Luke. Joel, Joel Dan. Dan. We're in this hot tub. <laughs> it's fine. 
And we're with a, a friend of ours who's one of, was a business mentor. And uh, this is a few weeks only before we left Australia. And um, we're sitting there, and this, this guy always had some wild thoughts. But he's talking to us and giving us some advice. Most of it was just fun. But he turns to Luke, <laughs> and he says, Luke, you can be anyone you want to be over there. You can start again. And we've got like the biggest smiles on our face because it's one of those moments you're like, this story is going to be told forever. (laughs) And so he's encouraging Luke. No one knows you. When you get over there, you can rewrite who you are. Anyone you want to be, you can be it. And then he turns to the the other three, the rest of us. He says, unless these idiots stuff it up for you. (laughs) (laughs) You did it, mate. Good job. So often we think, oh, new place, different environment, it'll all be different. But every season and every environment you step into, you take you with you. That's what happens. You take you with you. Only Jesus can renew you. You can only be reborn through Christ. You can only become a new creation in and through the blood. That's how that works. Jesus says the problem is not with the harvest. The problem is there's not enough workers The harvest is ready. There's not enough workers. So let's not take issue with the harvest. It's good to go. The problem is we don't have enough willing people who are going to step out of their comfort zones and begin the work of the harvest. That's the truth. Jesus didn't, he didn't mince his words. He didn't trip over them. He's clear and direct as always. Hey, the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. It says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would push out, send, more workers. So what do we do? What's our response? Well, Jesus says we've got to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to God that He would send more workers. And as a church, that's what we're asking. God, would you send more people to help carry this plentiful harvest here in the North Shore and in Squamish and in Surrey? For there's millions of lives represented right across those communities that are, that are just waiting to hear the gospel through shared living. So we pray, church, we pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. This is just one way we can participate in God's mission. It's the easiest way. Hey, when was the last time you prayed that God would send more workers for the harvest? It's the easiest job we can do, by the way. When was the last time you prayed it, bud? When was the last time the world God has sent us into to love upon, to reach... When was the last time it was so urgent within your vision and focus that you remembered to pray for more workers? Because you're looking at the harvest and you're saying there's so many lives, there's so many souls that need Jesus, but there's just not enough of us to go out there. God, would you bring more? When was the last time it was important enough to us? I love Jesus because he doesn't just tell his disciples to pray for others to be sent. He goes further. He goes Go, I'm sending you. Pray for help, pray for more. But in that, I'm also sending you. You're going. When Paul writes about the early church, he gives it the term the Ecclesia, which is a Greek city-state term of those that were a part of the city council. And they took jobs and responsibilities on rotation to help within the working functions of the city. What I found interesting, however, is that when that city-state was to go to war, the ecclesia would come together 
and they had to vote, are we as a city-state going to war? And if they voted yes to go to war, every person who voted yes to go to war had to go. They couldn't send a slave or a representation in their place. They who voted, who put their hand up, who was held responsible, who said, yes, me, believe we should go. They had to go. They had to be found on the front line. They had to risk their life. They had to lay everything down. They had to understand the price and the cost. So when they made a decision, it actually carried weight, not just for others, but for themselves. And Jesus says, so when you pray for more, that's good. But you don't get to pray for others to go where you won't go. So go, I'm sending you. It's twofold. So we pray and we go. We pray and we go. Ask for more laborers and go. You're one of those answers to your own prayer. Isn't that fun? God said more. I'm number one. Who's going to be number two? Number three. See, many Christians have taken the position and the posture like this. I'll leave the evangelism to the evangelists and I'll leave the pastoring to the pastors and I'll leave the preaching of the gospel to the teachers and I'll let my extrovert friends do all the communicating. I'll find my place, you know, because the the body of Christ is a body and I'm not the mouthpiece. I'm more like the, the pinky finger, help steady the teacup. That's my job. No, it's not the case. Not when it comes to the evangelism that Christ is inviting us into. He doesn't let us off the hook that easy. He says, pray and go, and you go. We're gifted and wired differently, but we work the same when it comes to evangelism. Everyone is a follower of Jesus, and everyone is called to do these things. You don't have to do it like someone else does it. You don't have to change your personality or change the stage of your life or career. Jesus can use you as He has before and will do it again in the way He's made you to take up this responsibility and say yes to the invitation. He will take you now. I'm going to ask the rest of the worship team to come. It's not just for some of us, it's for all of us. Now, if you're feeling a little nervous, I think this next text from the same story will really encourage you. Luke 10, 8, it says this, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. God is at work. We simply join what He's already doing. Do you understand that? Church, you need to understand this because this actually will fill you with courage more than anything this morning. God is at work. His invitation is not to do the work without Him. His invitation is to do the work and join Him in the work He has already begun. See, we see here, He says, when you go to a town and it welcomes you in, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near. And you go to a town and you're not welcome, just dust off your feet, move along. Still tell them the kingdom of God has come near. It's very simple. The instructions are very simple. 
Just look for where God is working and pursue Him there. It doesn't mean it's easy all the time. It doesn't mean you can just ask one question and leave. Evangelism is joining God in the work He's already begun, what He's already up to. And see, we believe God is always at work. He's always opening up opportunities all the time. Any conversation we might have with someone has already already been happening for some while now. When we join it, we join what God's already started. The conversation didn't start with you and it won't end with you. It started with Christ and it will end with Christ. When we look for what He's up to, we tend to see it far more than when we're not looking. When we're planning the church here, we look for every opportunity to share our story and our faith in Jesus. It's funny what desperation and mission does for you. When your back is up against the wall or you burnt your boats, there's no turning, turning back and going home. It's funny what happens to us when we're in that position. And I believe when we make Christ the center and when we all of a sudden realize that we're on mission by invitation, then every conversation is important. Every opportunity is worth taking. What if more days than not we're looking for God and where He's working? What if we slow down enough to recognize those opportunities He's preparing for us? What if we ask for opportunities and we're faithful to step into them when we see them? What if we ask, where is God working around us each and every day? Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy, the Bible says. And they said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. They returned with what? Joy. Can I tell you, you might be frustrated in sharing the gospel. You might find hard times when sharing the gospel. You might feel rejected and marginalized and not accepted by society when sharing the gospel. But the moment one person, and I mean one person, who didn't know Jesus, accepts Him, you will return to the Lord with pure joy. And everything else that you've long suffered with for Christ, it will grow strangely dim and quiet in the light of His glory and His grace that you see resonating in someone who was once lost and is now found. Just the one. And Jesus says, hey, it's all for one. If you were the one, He would still have come. We know this. They returned with joy. Why? Because they got to participate in the invitation God had given them. The lives saved for Jesus. Pure joy. Church, would you stand with us or me this morning? No doubt they would have all had so many stories to tell when they came back after going before Christ. 72 of them. You can imagine dinner time, what they would have been talking about. Their experiences of the goodness of God. We know stuff happened because they said even the dark spirits, the demons, surrendered at the sound of your name. Which means that healing took place. People were healed. People were set free. Something changed when they took up the invitation Christ had given them. They would have been filled with more stories of faith and risk, more stories of friends and loved ones coming to faith, more stories of transformation, more people sitting at the seats of the table because they went out. And that's our job. 
That's for us right now. Church, that's for us right now. You have friends and you have families that don't know Jesus. And maybe you've grown weary sharing your faith or maybe you haven't shared it at all. But the time is now. The urgency is now. Their life is worth it. You're a witness. And we've read this. If they reject the gospel, if the work of God they've rejected, then you can dust and move on and follow God into the next thing. Always praying, committing them to God. But you got to try. And you got to be faithful in it. You've got to give God time. What we do risk is becoming complacent and inward focused in our faith to the point that we get malnourished and weak. We become toxic, self-centered. And what was once a great move of God will be but a mausoleum. Memories of once things great now dead. And if the church in the West has suffered from anything, it has suffered from that. Go to Europe. These beautiful cathedrals, once filled with the move of God, now converted into museums and mausoleums. Places for the dead. It's not going to happen here in Canada. Not if we step out. Not if we pick up the urgency and say, you know what, God, the, the harvest is not the problem. Send us, we'll go. Bring more of us, we'll go. We'll go day in and day out. Day in, day out. Every life is worth the message of Christ. Jesus says this and he promises us this. And I know we've gone over today, but it's worth it. He says, I will empower you and you will receive power. So Acts 1.8 means so much more now when it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will bear my witness in Jerusalem and of all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Doesn't that make more sense now when he says, I got to go so another can come because it's no longer just God with you and next to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to be God inside of you, empowering you. So what? When you don't have the right words to say, the Holy Spirit will begin to fill you with the right words to say. Where you feel so afraid and filled with fear. He'll fill you with courage. He'll take away the fear so that you can step out, not in your strength, but in His strength. When all of a sudden you feel marginalized and the world would think you feel alone, the Holy Spirit, you're not alone. You got me. I'm with you. I'm your comfort. I'm your counsel. That's why we need to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. When it comes to sharing the Gospel, we are far more empowered through the Holy Spirit. That's why it's not a mind thing, it's a heart thing. I came to Christ without knowing half the, the answers to the, the questions I had. And over time, He's answered them. But He won my heart. And that's what He's come for, hearts and minds. We're going to go into worship, but I just want to reinstate this. The work of evangelism is the responsibility of every Christian. If you're here and you're a Christian, would you raise your hand? Real high. That's your job. I'm serious. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's your job. We've been invited into this. It's your responsibility. It's your calling. Wherever you work, whatever career you have, it's in light of the gospel. It's to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, he says the harvest is plentiful. It is ready to go. So go. 
You have no excuse. I have no excuse. We have no excuse. Those online, you have no excuse because I know you can type emails. We have no excuse. He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us is number three. And help us represent Christ in every space. So as we worship right now, church, as we step into this urgency to share the good news of Jesus, will we do something simple? Would we ask the Holy Spirit to come? For some of us, if not all of us, convict us of our complacency and empower us to step into that invitation from Jesus to do the work, to seek and save the lost through the gospel of Jesus because the plentiful harvest is amongst us and we're the laborers that need to go first. Will we also pray that he would bring more, send more, push out more in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.